Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Discover more about our wondrous, world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that change the world, and learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Concert, Steve Miller Band and the Eagles. Pritzker, no one can, Come on. Where did that come from? All right. Uh, your Ben Jarofsky show for Tuesday, August 25th is just moments away. Uh, but before we do this, let's thank these unions for sponsoring this podcast. Makes sense, right? Unions like the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers, Local Niner Sponsors, as well as the International Union of Operating Engineers, Local 150. Shout out to those unions. You're awesome. Thank you so much. And of course, today's Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you by our good friends at the Chicago Federation of Labor. Let me tell you about voting by mail. Voting by mail ensures equitable access for everyone. Normally, vote-by-mail applications are filled out online or in person. This creates a burden for people with limited access to transportation or internet services. Disproportionately, the elderly or people of color who are among those at greatest risk from COVID-19. Because of the pandemic, a law was passed in Illinois for November requiring vote-by-mail applications be sent to anyone who voted in 2018, 2019, or the 2020 primary. This falls short of what is needed particularly since these elections saw low turnout. We need to expand access. Mail-in voting is the best way to ensure everyone's voice can be heard safely. We can help expand voting access in Chicagoland by asking officials to send every eligible voter a vote-by-mail application. So visit VoteMailChicago.com. That's VoteMailChicago.com. Dot com for call scripts and a petition. One more time. Vote. V-O-T-E. Mail. M-A-I-L. Chicago. C-H-I-C-H-E-O. Dot com to make sure that every voter in Cook County has safe and equitable polling. That's correct. Now, Ben, uh, oh, still got the brown line. Yep, there that, it is. That, that's uh, still yeah. going. Now, when we take a week off, this would be a good time to, like, you know, uh, stop doing bits that uh, may have been reoccurring. So I'm going to leave this up to you. Do we still keep doing Song of the Day or are we just 86 it right now? 
It's wow. up to you. Pre-show planning live. Everybody's getting a taste of what a pre-show plan is with Ben Jarofsky and Dr. D. Uh, usually uh, it's like at about 1130. And he goes, what do you think, man? And I go, yeah, that's it. No more song of the day except for this one. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, wait. Was that the song of the day? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love song of the day. I say keep it. Whatever. It's you know. It's it's not even a minute of our life. You're right. You know. It's 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 like thirty seconds of existence. I think it's a fan. It's a fantastic icebreaker too. You know what I mean? I know that uh, in his Democratic uh, uh, convention speech, Barack Obama said, oh, "I really love song of the day," uh, and then Clinton said. I really love Song of the Day when he sings. Welcome back. <laughs> He's back, guys. The Ben Jarofsky Show starts now. It is Tuesday, August 25th, and live from Ben's attic in my apartment, this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. Today in the program, it's the return of professor and author of The Kids Are All Left, David Ferris. And now your host, Chicago Raider columnist Ben Jarofsky. Hello, everybody. Ben Jarofsky here. We're calling this Welcome Back to Lefty Land Tuesday. And here's why. I'm calling it that because we're back. That's why me and Dennis. Or is it Dennis me? Or is it I and Dennis? Or is it Dennis and I? You know, D, you figured by now I would have gotten it right. I've, having only spoken English for like 60-something years. Yeah. Hey, guys, how's it going? We're back. <laughs> Hi. Yeah. One week of vacation. You have a good vacation, D? Yes, I did. I enjoyed it very much. You look great. Oh. Can't you say that? You thank you. Dead. He's got this full beard. He's looking very man mountain and healthy and vibrant. And I know good things are happening in your life right now. So you look great. Can I just say You that? look great, too. Oh, wait. No, that's right. Your camera doesn't work on your phone because you bought it in 1997. And it's just a big giant letter B. <laughs> no, there probably is a camera in here. Just I don't know how to get it out. Anyway, uh, I had a great weekend. I went up to uh, Michigan with my family and uh, I was in Trump country, northern Michigan. Uh, usually when I go to Trump country, I go in disguise. I go incognito. I wear my red bulls hat. So people <laughs> think I'm a MAGA guy. Oh, he's MAGA. He's got a bread thing. They don't see it. it's bulls, not make America great again. Uh, but this time around, there was no uh, going incognito because I was wearing a mask. Well, like when we went to a gas station. So, D, that's kind of a telltale sign when you go to Trump country. Oh, he's a hippie. <laughs> Actually, uh, <laughs> a lot of people were uh, uh, wearing masks up there. I was very encouraged about that. There was a Trump sign. One guy uh, was driving on the road, had not just a sign, not just a flag, but like a huge flag. Trump Pence. He put it right out there. Let the whole world know he's for Trump. Okay? Making America great again. Donald Trump. Uh, some other guy put a, a sign out, and my wife got so mad 
I shouldn't say this. I wonder if the statute of limitations has expired after one week. She stopped on the sign, D. Oh, yeah. my. <laughs> I know. <laughs> my dear, my wife is just militant. And then uh, the guy, so she stomped it down. The guy put it back up. And then my uh, one of my daughters picked it up and threw it away. Oh, threw it on the ground. Holy cow. Holy God, I know. <laughs> I shouldn't be saying this. Uh-oh, here come the cops. You're under arrest. <laughs> Anyway, so, uh, yes. Uh, what did I do? The I, views uh, and actions on... of Ben Jarofsky's family do not reflect those of producer Dennis. Please don't arrest me. Yeah, no, Dr. D would never do anything like that. He would just be driving the getaway car. Uh, <laughs> I uh, read cast. That is cast, not cast. Whenever I'd say that to my right-wing friends, they go, they wrote a book about John Cass, the conservative right-wing And not Johnny Cash, community. the country singer. Yeah. <laughs> cast, not Cass. Cass. Nobody want to write a book about Johnny Cass? It's Cass. C-A-S-T-E. The Origins of Our Discontent by Isabel Wilkerson. This is an f- unbelievable, fantastic book. I'm going to be talking about this book all week. I already just, I was talking to Mark Sims uh, before we came on the show. He's our 345 guest. Uh, that's called a tease, D, in radio. Uh, he's well, our, be our 7 guest. o'clock guest. You can download it after 7 o'clock. Got your back. Tr- Trump mice. They're very good, <laughs> young man. Very good. Uh, and uh, so this is basically the whole story. Uh, Isabel Wilkerson, brilliant writer, uh, lays out about... Uh, Oh, God, I can't even call it racism because it's beyond racism, but how people are just put into uh, boxes, metaphorically speaking, uh, at the moment they're born based on the color of their skin and kept there their entire lives, a whole history of it. Uh, And she compares and contrasts the caste, C-A-S-T-E system in the United States uh, with the one in Germany uh, during the Nazi era uh, regarding the Jews and the one in uh, India that's existed for many, many years. Uh, and it's just this one compelling eye-opening moment in the book. I remember I was like, I don't know where I was. I was somewhere peaceful, pastoral, trying to soak in the sights. I'm reading this this book that's really wrenching, uh, very provocative and depressing on, on many levels. Uh, a young Nazi intellectual I'm reading named Herbert Keir was tasked with compiling a table of U.S. race laws and was confounded by the length to which America went to segregate its schools. He made note that by law in most southern states, white children and colored children are sent to different schools, unquote, and that most states further demand that race be given in birth certificates, licenses, and death certificates. He discovered that many American states go so far as to require, by statute, segregated facilities for coloreds and whites in waiting rooms, train cars, sleeping cars, streetcars, buses, steamboats, and even prison in jail. He later remarked that given the fundamental proposition of the equality of everything that bears a human countenance, it is all the more astonishing how extensive race legislation is in the United States. He was just one of several Nazi researchers, quote, who thought American law went overboard. Nazis thought we went too far. The Nazis. D, I was just like, Everywhere I went, I was like telling people, have you read Cast? Have you read Cast? And they're like, that guy from the Tribune? <laughs> and you're like, Definitely. no, wait, the singer? Cast! <laughs> C-A-S-T-E. <laughs> Not Cast. Not Cash. Fantastic book. I'm going to be talking about it a lot on the show. The Nazis! Oh, you guys kind of went a little overboard, America. Anyway, Hitler admired uh, the uh, the Jim Crow setup that the United States. Hitler admired it. Come on, folks, we got to look in the mirror. We got to change some things in this country. Anyway, 
while I was there, I was getting updates uh, all the time on my phone, news updates. So I was following what was happening in Chicago. And I was watching D, the Democratic Convention uh, at night. I'd be watching the speeches. That's how I heard Obama go. Uh, Dennis looks great. Love that beard. And uh, very uh, so, um, man, mountain, mountain man. Very, uh, very tall. Very bald. Very tall. Now do Clinton saying, how good you look? Oh, that Dennis. <laughs> Gotta work in it. Oh, Dennis looks great. Um, it's actually my Jim Coogan imitation. It's just slid in there. I gotta get Coogan back in the show to talk about everything that Trump's up to. Anyway, headline in the Sun Times really brought home. It's just sort of conveyed my existence. The headline. This is right about the time uh, at the start of last week when the Dems had uh, officially nominated Biden as their candidate and Bernie Sanders gave the speech extolling Biden's virtue and urging all lefties uh, like myself to vote uh, for uh, Biden. And the headline in the bright one was Chicago lefties still feeling the burn, B-E-R-N, but not looking to burn, B-U-R-N, Biden. (laughs) See, Democrats. Get out on that one. Sometimes, man. I'll, come on, man. Uh, burn and burn. Get it? That's a long headline. Yeah, it's a long headline. A lot of puns was, and very long. Uh, yeah, it was long. Well, it was the internet headline. I'm sure the, the, the one in the, in the paper itself was a lot more concise. But the part that killed me, D, was lefties was in quotes. Chicago lefties in quotes. You know, like, they, <laughs> they weren't quite sure that they're Everybody in sometimes land would know what a lefty is. You know what I mean? It's like it accentuated the feeling that I generally have that I'm like whenever I read mainstream coverage of people like me, you know, lefties in quotes, like we're this weird subspecies of humanity and they're not quite sure for real. And they're not quite sure that if most people read it, they would know what a lefty is. Whoa, lefty. (laughs) Like they're explaining, you know, like someone who just popped out of a spaceship from Mars. You know, lefties are like people who, I don't know, they think it's a good idea to spend more money on schools. Can you believe that? Or they want more nurses in schools. How dare they? Or, you know, they want health care for all. Oh, my God, that's so weird. Yeah, it's like reading uh, whenever I read, a, well, not whenever, but many times I'll read an article about tips in the Tribune and they'll write the so-called tax increment financing program. Jeez, it's like God, five minutes in the show. I'm already talking about this. I got my game back, ladies and gentlemen. It's like Steph Curry stepping out on the court for the first time, hitting the three. Yeah, the so-called tips, like it's some foreign, weird thing that you may have heard about, but it doesn't really affect you. Well, it does affect you, but we don't want you to think about it. Anyway, uh, the article goes on to quote Carlos Ramirez Rosa, Stacey Davis Gates, all regulars in the show. In fact, Carlos will be on the show this Friday. I just uh, got a... Uh, text from him confirming that. Looking forward to talking to Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa about local politics, national politics. He's a big time Bernie Sanders supporter. But uh, yeah, so that's us. Carlos, me, Stacy, many of you listeners. In fact, I got to give a shout out to Babs, uh, a regular listener of the show. And he puts stuff on my Facebook wall all the time, D. What up, Babs? Uh, yeah, which, um, I'm, as everybody knows, I'm not really a um, big time Facebook reader, but 
I got to say, Babs was right on. He put this one thing. Hold on. I'm calling up Facebook now, D. I'm doing two things at once. Oh, my God. And All right, let's see if I can do it After right. a week off? Oh, Lord, please. <laughs> All right, here we go. Take your I time. Facebook, uh, and here we go. Here we go. Oh, this is brilliant. I got to give him credit. Uh, and uh, Ben, this is for Babs. Follow me. This one is counterintuitive. Make no mistake, the Democratic establishment wants to paint progressives as nothing but a few far-left outliers, most notably the grumpy old mad professor and his radical protege. The DNC's Kerry Powell-McCain trio Tuesday night was aimed at the American exceptionalism conservative hawks, but with AOC, the establishment manufactured a smear campaign that resulted in vitriolic personal attacks by Democrats based on NBC's mischaracterization of her speech. All mainstream, universally-like, non-controversial progressives hidden by design. No way does the Democratic Party want to follow its base, want to allow its base to put a likable face on the progressive movement. I have to say that, uh, Babs, you're absolutely correct. It uh, furthers my sense of alienation. Uh, the basic Democratic attitude about lefties like myself uh, and you, you, Babs, and Dennis kind of hides that leftyism, but he's pretty out there. Like, oh, if you can only hear Dennis in the pre-show meetings. Good God, he's a lefty. Uh, but their basic attitude uh, toward us is... Shut up and vote for Joe Biden. That's their basic attitude toward us. Meanwhile, the Republicans, on the other hand, they welcome their base. They welcome their base. And their base is freaking nuts. I know that sometimes put lefties in quote like we're weird. I mean, we advocate things for things that most people want, like health care for all. Most people want that. It's just that it's controversial because it would might upset the insurance industry. That's the only reason it's controversial. So the Republicans put in those nutcase McCloskeys. You see them, D, last night? That's the, the, the couple from St. Louis. The, there was a Black <laughs> Lives Matter protest. These, these dudes are out to freaking lunch. They was walking peacefully, not even on their property, through... Uh, the uh, gated community that they live in to go protest at the mayor's house who lived down the, the way from them. And the dude comes out with a shot, uh, not a shotgun, but a rifle. So they got there, you know, the, the local attorney, uh, this is district attorneys have charged them with, with some minor crime. And now they're heroes on the right and they get a speaking moment. I think they got more time at the Republican convention than AOC got at the Democrats. So Babs, I feel you, man. I hear you. I know what it's like. Lefty, just go over there in your little corner of the world. Go in your little podcast in your attic, overlooking the alley and the porta potty with your producer in his house across the street from the high school and the construction. <laughs> <laughs> Stay away from us. And, and by the way, vote for Biden. Well, the McCloskey's featured prominently at the Republican convention. I swear to God, Isabel Wilkerson, this is another chapter when you want to do an updated version of CAST, C-A-S-T-E. You know, and uh, D, I, I, I am afraid that sometimes headline got it exactly right. I really have no choice. I have no choice. I have to vote for Joe Biden. Donald Trump and the Republican Party and the McCloskeys, I keep calling them the McCaskies because that's the bear. McCloskeys 
are so frightening. I have no choice. I have to vote for Joe Biden. But I got to tell you this. I'm not shutting up. Oh, my God. Are you okay? Did you fall down? Ben! I just wanted to see if you were paying attention. I'm not shutting up, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) You can take the quotes off lefties because we actually do exist. We got a great show today, everybody. David Ferris. Yeah, he's not afraid to say he's a lefty. He's coming on. He is funny as hell. He's got some really interesting things to say about the Democratic convention, contrasting it with day one of the Republican convention. What a bunch of nutcases, the Republican convention. And then, as that, as I already said, Mark Sims, uh, he'll be coming on. We'll drop him at uh, 7 o'clock tonight. Uh, and we, he's all fired up. He wants to talk about CAST, C-A-S-T-E, the Isabel Wilkerson book. Uh, talk Kenosha. Man, this um, Kenosha is really sad. Uh, the young man, Blake, is who was shot, is paralyzed. That's the latest story of the come out of Kenosha and the shot by the police. I have, I don't even know what to say. Uh, they just shot the dude. Uh, and he's an Evanston kid in my hometown. He's from Evanston. I knew his grandfather. So uh, anyway, we'll be talking about that. And we got to talk about his uh, show, Just a Few Questions with Mark Sims, which you can find yes. online right now. He's got a ton of episodes, everybody. Yeah, he's, it's a great show. It's a great show. You've been on it, D, haven't you? <laughs> yeah, I was on it. You were on it. You talked about all of them. Yes, as I recall. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, I can't uh, wait to talk to Mark. It's been uh, too long since it's been on the show. David Ferris, Mark Sims. But before we do that, the young man from home, the man that everyone, lefty, righty, middle of the road, middle calls, calls Dr. Doobie with the news. I'm Dennis. Hey, we're back, everybody. And before we hit the ground running, before we find out what's happening in Chicago and or Illinois this afternoon, Ben, I think we need to talk about uh, one local story that broke while we were away last week. This occurred on Thursday. The Chicago Tribune reported that for the first time in recent memory, Chicago police are enforcing an ordinance prohibiting neighborhood demonstrations even peaceful ones. And we learned last week that because of this, Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot's home is now on protest patrol. (laughs) Under the the mayor's orders, the Chicago Police Department have effectively banned protesters from demonstrating on Mayor Lightfoot's block in the Logan Square neighborhood, ordering officers to arrest anyone who refuses to leave. Mayor Lightfoot uh, defended her decision, saying, quote, Given the threats that I have personally received, given the threats to my home and my family, I'm going to do everything to make sure that they are protected. I make no apologies whatsoever for that. I've talked to my fellow mayors across the country and seeing that um, or seeing the kind of things that have been done to them and their family members, I'm not going to have that happen. That's not why my wife and my child signed up for. It's not what my neighbors signed up for. We have a right in our home to live in peace. Photos were circulating online showing dozens of officers guarding her home and her block with barricades. Six people were arrested Saturday protesting near the mayor's home. Four women and two men were taken into custody and charged with misdemeanor counts of residential picketing. They live in New York, Washington, Arkansas, and Pennsylvania. One of the women told the Sun-Times some of the demonstrators uh, were with the, quote, Jesus Matters movement. She said they were protesting uh, because the country is going to... 
Well, you you know what she said there. Uh, the story. Wait, the Jesus lady said the country is going to ass. Yeah. Just just clarifying. Go ahead, D. <laughs> just clarifying. Just wanted to make sure I understood who said it and exactly what it was. Go ahead. The story even picked up some national media attention. Uh, if we were here last week, I may have done like a cute little trivia segment asking everyone what media outlet covered the story. And you would all answer correctly and win nothing because obviously it was Fox News, guys. They love trashing Mayor Lightfoot. But yeah. I do have a couple more quotes from uh, those opposing the mayor's protest patrol. But let's pause it here for a moment. Ben Jarofsky, mm-hmm. it's time to pick that absurdly gigantic brain of yours, the mm-hmm. one filled with so much Chicago knowledge. It's frightening. Yeah, it uh, the mayor fired back at these naysayers, uh-huh. stating that the death of George Floyd, the pandemic, and the resulting economic hardship have created a unique set of circumstances demanding a show of force uh, and said, quote, comparing this to some other time doesn't make any sense because there is no other time like this one that we're in. Benny J, help us out here. Take us back to Chicago mayoral past. Now, you're very old, so, you know, maybe not too far back. All right. But can you recall any moments like this? Can we compare this to some other time? And how did former mayors handle protests outside their homes? Well, there's a lot to talk about there, D. And uh, yes, my memory goes way back when it comes to uh, Chicago history. And boy, do I take exception to when she said something that her neighbors didn't sign up for it. Her neighbors didn't sign up for any of this. I mean... They didn't. She didn't go ask her neighbors for permission in which she wanted. I, I had never heard that quote. Again, we were on vacation when this story broke. This is a, an older story, but I, I, I'm really enjoying this. I'm going to go with it. I'm really glad you raised this. Deep. So I'm just going to say the neighbors didn't sign up for it. All right. I'm just they never you never got their permission to run for mayor. Uh, mayor Lightfoot. anyway, to answer your question, this uh, there's so many things like this time is unlike any other. Yes, it's true. Uh, there's never been a pandemic. That is absolutely true. But I got to tell you, 1968, I know Lori Lightfoot's younger than I am. She probably, well, she didn't even live in Chicago. Uh, she was in uh, Ohio. Uh, and so uh, she has no, probably has no strong memory. But 1968 was every bit as frightening in my humble opinion as now. There was no pandemic. It's true. But it just seemed like the society was unhinging. And we had the war in Vietnam going on at the same time. Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King was killed. Robert Kennedy was killed. Uh, George Wallace was uh, even, was he to the right of Trump? He's, uh, he he was a manifestation of segregation and he was running uh, a third party campaign uh, that was picking up a lot of support uh, in the cities of the North. There was so much racial hostility in the country that was unleashed in 68. So I just have to say that 1968, in many ways, was even more frightening uh, than now. I know everybody is is up at the moment. We live in the, in the moment in any existence, and it's hard to remember anything that went down so many years ago. But um, I think 1968 was more frightening or as frightening as today. And then, so I'll start there. The mayor of the city of Chicago in 1968 was one Richard J. Daly, and he lived in Bridgeport. And the Bridgeport that Mayor Richard J. Daly lived in back in 1968 was much different in many ways than the Bridgeport that many of my listeners know about today. Bridgeport today is a relatively, it's a, a sort of a gentrifying uh, area uh, of Chicago. It's 
it's diverse. You know, a lot of hipsters are moving down to Bridgeport, but back in 1968, uh, it was an all white defiantly. So straight out of a section of cast by Isabel Wilkerson. I mean, the anger and hostility that many of the white people in Bridgeport had toward black people was palpable. It was real. Uh, it was just un, unabashedly expressed. And the notion of protesters going to Richard J. Daly's house on Low Street uh, is frightening to think about, D, because the neighbors probably would have beat him up and the cops would have just, <laughs> go ahead, take a few whacks. In fact, there were some protests. Um, Dick Gregory, uh, here's another name from the past that my millennials don't know. Dick Gregory, one of the great, uh, he's a great comedian and social activist. He ran on a third party ticket, believe it or not, for president in 1968. Tried to lead a uh, march uh, into Bridgeport. A march of anti-war activists into Bridgeport. I I think it was around the time of the uh, Democratic Convention and the police were having none of it. You're not going near the mayor's house. Bam, bam, bam. Hit him on the head with those batons. So, uh, yeah, there were, the, the notion, you had to have a lot of courage to have a protest outside of Richard J. Daly's house uh, in Bridgeport back in the day. And uh, people did it. They really probably would either get beat up by the police uh, or the neighbors. Now, was like, think about it, D. Uh, Baby Daly, uh, well, look, after uh, Richard J. Daly died, but Mayor Jane Byrne, she was the, the first, uh, well, it was Michael Bolanik. He too lived in Bridgeport. Uh, but he, it's, like, it's like he didn't even exist as mayor in anybody's minds. You know what I mean? It was just here and there going so fast. Uh, Jane Byrne lived in a high rise on the Gold Coast. So who was going to protest outside of a high rise on the Gold Coast? And she moved into Cabrini Green. Remember that day? She moved into Cabrini Green. <laughs> yeah. For about, she was there for like a week or two. I forget how long she was there. Uh, she thought that was that was the way she was going to get reelected. But the, like this, like the chess pieces that she was moving around in Chicago politics, folks. This is ancient history. But she's she was really worried about uh, Richard M. Daly, Baby Daly, running against her for mayor. So what she did, she goes, "I'll solidify the black vote by moving into a high crime area in uh, Cabrini Green. Uh, the black uh, voters in Chicago will love me for that." Uh, and then as soon as she was done with this, the symbol symbolism of moving into Cabrini Green which got national news. She went back to her Gold Coast apartment uh, and then appointed these uh, uh, white, you might want to call them, I don't know, the R word is pretty strong, uh, but uh, extremists from the Southwest side to the Chicago Housing Authority Board and the school board uh, to sort of appease the white people. She goes, so that's chess in Chicago. I took care of the black people by moving into Cabrini Green. Now I'll take care of the white people by putting these racial extremists on the board who are against integration and everybody will vote for me. Yeah, it really didn't work out. Our Washington uh, won. Nobody, obviously the black voters of Chicago were not really uh, thrilled with her moving into Cabrini Green. Um and then Richard M. Daly, uh, for most of, uh, I would, would say for like the last 10 years of when he was in office, he lived in a gated community in the South. I'm going to say this about Rahm Emanuel. Get ready for this, D. I'm going to say something nice about Rahm Emanuel. You ready? I didn't hear him crying when the protesters showed up at his door. And they did. And it wasn't, yeah. it was it, particularly after the Laquan McDonald video was released when it became apparent that Rahm Emanuel said, uh oh, I said I was going to say something nice about him. And as soon as I start, I go down that path. Take a chill pill, man. Oh, thank you, Rahm. By the way, oh my God. 
Dabs, if you're listening, what about Rom and the advice he gave the Democrats? Um, I know I'm supposed to say something nice about him, Dean. I know we're talking about local news. And yeah, I this know seems to happen every time. You go to say something nice about Rom. Man. Oh, my just- God. This is, this is, I read this. I, got, I forget where I was. Rom, uh, Republican by Republicans for Biden. Something like that. Biden Republicans. God, he hates progressives. You know, Ramana Hussein is always saying, Ben, you hate Rom. I don't hate Rom. I always go, yes, you do. No, you don't. That's an exchange we've been having for a long time. Then Dennis every now and then trying to, you know, cultivate uh, Ramana. Yes, he does. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you hate him. No, I don't. Anyway, he really hates us. Lefties, that is. Thank you, Chicago, for this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Yeah. Oh, I love the guy. Yeah. Uh, train just went by. I think Rom's driving it. Hey, Rom. So uh, say what you will about Rom Emanuel. He hates lefties, uh, and he's a Mitt Romney Republican at heart. Uh, but he didn't cry when the demonstrators came outside his house. And he'd blame it on his neighbors. Well, my neighbors didn't sign up for this. No, they didn't sign up for any of it. You didn't ask the neighbor. You didn't go into a petition. Hey, do you mind if I run for mayor? Uh, do you care? You just ran for mayor. Now you're blaming the neighbors. Well, the neighbors, the, the, you know, it's not fair to them. Well, you shouldn't have run for mayor if you're worried about the neighbors. I don't know. I'm all over the map on this one. I'll get into it later. I know you got more of the story to read. From but what Rahm, I recall, from what I recall, Mayor Rahm was pretty stone cold when it came to people protesting outside his house. I heard one person say, like, yeah, we saw Rahm. He was in his kitchen just making a salad while we were protesting. Yeah, it was an anchovy salad. He cut up little onions. Uh, one person. Hey, Ryan. Shout out to Ryan. Uh, but... Um, yeah, so Rom didn't cry. Give him credit for that. And he didn't care about his neighbors. You know, <laughs> imagine being Rom's neighbor coming over. Uh, we're out of sugar. Uh, can you have a uh, few mother beep? Get off my. F-. Going out Rom's house. Uh, Mr. Mayor, I need some butter. Uh, so, yeah, Rom, he, he didn't cry. There were police everywhere. There were helicopters everywhere. People, and they protests. I remember many protests, and not just uh, the Laquan McDonald protest. Many protests outside of Rom's house. He didn't cry like a baby. Uh, so that's that in a nutshell is the history of Chicago mayors and protests outside their home. And it was unthinkable that anybody would protest outside of Harold Washington's home. And Harold Washington lived in an apartment in Hyde Park. And, uh, you know, just people didn't. I'm trying to think about it. I don't think anybody ever said uh, had a notion of protesting. Why would you protest Harold Washington, the greatest mayor the city of Chicago ever had anyway, D? Right. So, um, yeah, I don't know, Mayor Lori Lightfoot. Uh, it's shutting down the protests. It does seem a little extreme. There's right. more to the story, young man. Uh, well, we got a lot of quotes. Uh, well, we got a lot of uh, messages that you people have sent here on the live stream chat. We're going to read those a little later here. But we got to read some quotes. Our first quote comes from FoxNews.com and Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Charlie LaDuff. LaDuff said about the mayor's protest patrol outside her home, quote, 
You're not allowed to cordon off the world when the rest of us want exactly what you want. In a way, I understand. She's scared. One, you have a responsibility to us. However, to explain the nature of these threats so we can assess the, uh, the necessity for this. Uh, two, I called my people in the Chicago Police Department. You've got cops in your home. You have them outside your home. To extend that perimeter out is to pull cops from that district so everybody else gets less. So in a way... It's hypocritical. You have an 80% approval rating, and yet you feel besieged by a really vociferous... Mo oh, get out your dictionaries for Leduff here. Leduff. My goodness. I'm Charlie Leduff. I have big words. I'm a writer. Okay, uh, you have an 80% <laughs> approval rating, and yet you feel besieged uh. by a really vociferous minority. I think at this point, it's just not credible. You took the job. You're not allowed to cordon off the world when and the rest of us want exactly what you want. We would like the police to respond to us. We would like professional police to protect us. And when you do it, we don't have it. So I guess this is up to Chicago to deal with it. But if it was to be done in Detroit, the guy would be laughed out of town. Yes, Charlie Ladoff, so folks know, uh, was a columnist for many years in Detroit. Charlie Ladoff, now he's on Fox TV. Uh, good, Charlie, I guess that's kind of a promotion. All right, uh, let me say this, D. Uh, as to the points that young Mr. Ladoff raised, uh, you know, as my uh, Uncle Eldon uh, once said. Wait, I have an Uncle uh, Eldon. <laughs> you too? <laughs> Just wanted to see if you're paying attention. You know, D, actually, I think Darren Bailey once said this. Uh, Farmer Darren Bailey, uh, the face of the Republican Party, the brightest mind in the Republican Party today. Yeah, that Darren Bailey, state representative for Darren Bailey, who probably will be running for governor next time around. As Darren Bailey once said, folks. Rocks come with the farm. Ever heard that saying, D? Yes, <laughs> <Rocks>. I have. <laughs> yeah, you know why? Because he said it to me this morning. I was on my name like, what a great saying. <laughs> so I was trying to pull that off like, you know, I do that all along, but I couldn't do it, D. Just couldn't do it. Rocks come with the farm. You want to be the mayor of the city of Chicago, this is some of the stuff that you deal with. So I understand that LaDuff point of view. On the other hand, I would hate to have a bunch of people yelling outside my house, D. I would hate it. So I can kind of see where Lori Lightfoot is going. But I don't know, D. I'm going to have to go with Charlie LaDuff on this one. I'm like, you know, Madam Mayor, rocks come with the farm. Uh, and uh, this is part of what you put up with in this day and age when you want to be the mayor of Chicago. So there's a lot of privileges that come with being mayor of Chicago. You're a person, you're internationally known, you're a celebrity, you're a symbol. You get to be in all the talk shows, you're prominent. People care really deeply about what you have to say. Uh, and that's the positive side of it. And the negative side is you become the symbol uh, of power in the city and when people who feel powerless want to express their worldview they're going to come knocking at your door so to speak symbolic metaphor so i guess to quote uh, your uncle alden rocks come with the farm and uh yeah i'm with i as, as difficult as this is to say i'm with with ladoff on this one i think she went overboard all right and hey uh listeners trust me ben Jarowski does not like it when a group of people yell outside of his house, don't let me tell you about that time. Porta potty. Oh my God. So many people are at that porta potty after the show one day. You were yelling like a madman, Ben. Yeah, no, I, I, uh, I got it. Yeah, I'm like, wait, well, hold on, Dave. Is there someone out oh there my right God. now? 
Uh, not right. It's all it's all quiet. So if you want to come and use it during the next break, feel free. All right, just come on over. Goodbye. I don't know. Before David Ferris, I'll ride my bike over and use the porta potty. Why not? All right. Our second quote comes straight from the Chicago Sun Times and the one and only Fran, the Woe Man Spielman. She talked one on one with Fraternal Order of Police President John Cantanzara. <laughs> I got indigestion. Oh, you're a fan. Cantanzara loves Trump, ladies and gentlemen. He wears the MAGA with pride. What did Johnny have to say? Here's FOP President John Cantanzara. He said, uh, quote, at times there have been 140 officers assigned to that home, referring wow. to Lightfoot's home. Cantanzara also said, quote, maybe she should move into a high-rise downtown where you can put like 20 officers at the front of the building if need be. I get the family safety. But you picked this job. That's what you knew was part of the program when you signed up. What about all the officers who are getting projectiles thrown at them? Fireworks shot at them. It's the do as I say, not as I do mentality. You know, I think Johnny Canizero has been listening to our show, D. <laughs> I think he's been he's getting half of his material from us. Do his rules for thee. If he said rules for thee, not for me, we would know he's listening. Well, if to I hear rocks come with the farm, I'm pissed. All right, I'm just saying. <laughs> Ivan, that's the other thing. Young John, feel free. Feel free to use rocks come with the farm. And you're absolutely correct. Dee. If we next week he goes, well, as my uncle Eldon says, <laughs> rocks come with the farm. Then we know young John has been listening to us. And why wouldn't he listen to us? I mean, I know he's a Trump supporter. I know he wears the MAGA with pride. But come on, you're going to get more interesting conversation on this show than you will on some conservative show. <laughs> By the way, they sometimes love Canizera. They just love the guy. They're always giving him quotes. Johnny Canizera, I hope you're subscribing to the Sun-Times. Don't be cheap like a millennial and reading it on the Internet. They've been supporting you. You should support them. Get yourself a subscription. By the way, I'd like to thank... But you know what? He has a point. i got to give the guy credit. He has a point. I'd like to thank uh, listener Frank for letting me use his Chicago Sun-Times account for me to look up the news. You're the man. <laughs> thank you. I did not... I, I forgot that. God bless you, Frank. <laughs> thank you very much, Frank. You are awesome. <laughs> we are bro the brokest podcast in America. <laughs> If anybody's looking to do a podcast, I'll produce it for, uh, for uh, a cheap charge. All right. Don't worry. Uh, oh, and speaking of Fran Spielman, uh, she's still doing that Fran Spielman show, guys. Uh, go check it out every week. In fact, her latest interview is Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot. All right. She talks about her role in the 2020 Democratic National Convention. And oh, you know, Fran, she's going to throw some hard balls as well. I'm sure she brings up. Uh, protest patrol as well so go check it out at the chicago sun times website and wherever else you download your favorite podcast all By right way, i have to say something else about uh Canizera. show a little gratitude to Lori lightfoot i mean Lori lightfoot has been taking a pro-police stand on the whole defund the police movement you know Lori lightfoot uh has effectively isolated Chicago lefties like myself, like we're from another planet. And uh, so she's endorsing, essentially endorsing the fraternal order police view of the world. So I don't know, Johnny Canizera, you should show a little love for Lori Lightfoot because she has been uh, showing some love for you. I just was thinking about that D, you know? Every lefty I know cannot stand Lori Lightfoot. When they say she's, when uh, old boy Ladoff says she has an 80% approval rate, I don't know where he got that 80. That's Fox News. I, that's the other thing. I mean, would you 80? 
Well, Duff, I am just, uh, you know, uh, adding up, uh, rounding up. I think it was 75% last I saw in the Sun-Times, and that was a poll that was taken by Lori Lightfoot's guy. So, you know, I'll take it for what you want. I know on the North, what, Jeff, what, what LaDuff should have said. By the way, here's the other thing about LaDuff. He's got my contacts in the Chicago. He's from Detroit. He's got contacts in the Chicago. They got contacts everywhere. That sounds like Donald Trump. Remember Donald Trump? Uh, some police officer told me that there was a way to stop crime in Chicago in two hours. Or was it a day? I don't know. Maybe it was a week. Let's give him a week. Yeah. Hey, anytime you want to step in and do the little magic with your friend, the Chicago police. I think these guys have these imaginary friends who are police officers, you know, that talk to them at night. My imaginary police officer friend. I would say, uh, uh, Charlie, just to, she's, I, I don't know where you got that 80% number. Last I saw it was 75%. Uh, it was in, and that was Lori's pollster. It's probably 80% on the North side where they love Lori Lightfoot, no matter what she does, <laughs> no matter what she says. So if, if LaDuff had said, uh, on the North side of Chicago, I would buy it. Sorry, Dee. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go all ahead. good. Yeah. I mean, it is the Ben Jarofsky show, so that's all good. But So that was uh, that. We're all caught up on that story we missed. Ben, is there anything that happened while we are away that you would like to touch on? Now's your last chance. Uh, yes. Thank you for asking me that, uh, Dennis. Uh, and I just want to say this. I am going to take the deep dive with Carlos Ramirez Rosa. This is a fascinating story that broke last week uh, while Dennis and I were enjoying a week off. Uh, and it had to do with the Chicago City Council having a vote on a resolution uh, by, uh, that was, I think it was proposed by Raymond Lopez, Raylo of the 15th Ward, uh, calling on uh, Governor Pritzker to send to the National Guard to fight crime in Chicago. And it just, like, if you really want to understand the bizarre world of the Chicago City Council and the different factions of the City Council, you really have to do the deep dive into uh, that vote. And so I was on vacation. Dennis was on vacation. Uh, Mr. Bike Day Gloatz was on vacation. I believe he was biking somewhere and camping. Literally camping. He goes camping. He bikes and he camps. It's unbelievable. Uh, so, but he's going to be back to talk about it. Carlos is, a, I think it's a fascinating uh, tale. There were 17 people who voted against Lori Lightfoot on this resolution. She wanted to send it to committee and bury it and kill it. Uh, so you had like the, um, the Raylo crowd, which is uh, a very the, heading into Trump country on the law and order issue and thinks that Lori Life is not strong enough on law and order. They were for it. But then you had some progressives defund the police types like Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who voted for it. And that had to do with procedural matters and uh, the way in which a mayor, an all powerful mayor, uh, stifles debate by sending stuff to committee. So fascinating insights uh, into how uh, democracy, small d democracy works in the Chicago City Council. And I, I applaud, D, I applaud them. I believe that there should be robust debate. I'm, I'm actually with Darren Bailey on this one, DB. Holy cow. You know, I, I do believe these, all these executive orders, you know, where the powerful executives bypass the legislative process. I understand spending a lot of time thinking about how Barack Obama had to deal with the recalcitrant Republicans uh, in the Senate, in the House, uh, and uh, how none of them would vote for him. They, from the minute he got into office, they were determined uh, to uh, sabotage his government at every turn. I understand that. So the reality is uh, executive order was the only way in, in many, many instances that he could 
establish anything resembling uh, his initiatives. But Larry Lightfoot, she's totally different situation. She does not have her recalcitrant opposition. So I believe in democracy. Anyway, so that was on my mind. That went down last week while we were uh, vacationing. Dennis was uh, driving around the state of Illinois. Did I have that right, uh, D? You were in a yeah. car driving yeah, around. Yeah. Yeah, went to, uh, and uh, so we're going to take the deep dive with uh, Alderman Carlos Ramirez Rosa. We'll be talking about this on Friday. Be on the lookout for that. And hey, we should try to get Raylo back on to talk about this as well. What do you say? Oh, come on. You know, Raylo's always welcome on this show. We'll argue. Uh, I ran out him. Remember, you gotta give him credit. After the last interview, where well, don't, I don't agree with you on that. Up, oh, I don't agree. They sent me a text going, "Well, Ben, we have this uh, new drinking game. Uh, we have to take a shot every time you say I don't agree with you." Anyway, yeah, we got to get Nick Spazzato back. You know, see if uh, the, our our one Trump supporter, <laughs> our one Trump supporter, see if the Democratic convention uh, has moved him to vote for Biden or more to the point uh, has watching the uh, the nutcases, the assembled by the Republicans. Uh, has that convinced him to vote Democrat? So if I recall, Spazzato, yeah, he was more against Hillary than he was for Trump. He's, he stated that quite a few times in our interviews with him. So, yeah, he kept saying that, but uh, I don't then I kept, yeah, he kept going, yeah, I like you know, the way the economy's going. Then I, like, yeah, you know, then I <laughs> he put that MAGA hat on after the, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, All we'll right. see, we'll see where uh, Nick is, uh, McCloskey's. I always want to call them the McCaskies, but they're the McCloskey's. And uh, no public event scheduled for Mayor Lightfoot this afternoon. So we will move on to some Illinois news. Uh, and since we're talking about former mayors, you know, let's talk about some former Illinois governors. And no, not the one who was in prison. I'm a Trumpocrat. The Trumpocrat, that's right. <laughs> no, this is the long-awaited follow-up on our most recent former governor. The one who did so little, he may as well have been in prison during his tenure. It's, thank God, former Republican Illinois Governor Bruce Rauner. Yay for our teachers! Yay for our teachers! <laughs> Where on earth has this guy been? That's the, you know what I mean? The last we heard, after a decisive loss against J.B. Pritzker, Bruce Rauner quickly sold his home in Winnetka, Illinois, and rumor had it, he and his wife were headed to Paris. Oh, and he also snuck in the news a Wait, couple- Paris? Right? Or Italy? Oh, it was Italy, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. It wasn't, I, I'm pretty sure it was Italy. But yeah. anyway, go ahead. Did not mean to interrupt you. It's all the same to this downstate hillbilly. All right. Uh, he also snuck in the news a couple months back, taking, uh, texting a quick jab at Governor Pritzker's handling of the coronavirus pandemic, arguing the state's phased reopening plan is a boon for Democrats who are looking to benefit politically from the coronavirus. But now, thanks to WTTW Chicago and their excellent work covering this week's Republican National Convention and the Illinois GOP, we may have learned the whereabouts of our former gangly, awkward governor. WTTW and Amanda Vinicky writes, leading up to and during his term as Illinois' 42nd governor, Bruce Rauner spent some of his personal fortune to help boost the Republican Party in the state. He's not only no longer doing that, Rauner's not even registered to vote in Illinois anymore. He's set to cast his ballot from Florida. Say, <laughs> say what? What happened to, what happened to Italy? Florida. And a special thanks goes out to the meanest Illinois political bulldog in the yard. Capital Facts is Rich Miller. He went online and found the actual Florida voting registration. It says he is registered to vote in Monroe County. 
He's still a Republican, and apparently Rauner owns a waterfront mansion in Key Largo. And according to the Chicago Tribune, the mansion has a 72-foot-long pool. Oh, my God. Wow. <laughs> oh, Lord. What do you think about that? This. Rauner in Florida. Well, Rauner, you know, I have to say this. Uh, it, it wealth buys you... Uh, it, it buys you certain privileges, let's put it that way. And if you want your vote to really count, uh, Florida is a place to go uh, with this insane electoral college system that we have. As you know, D, uh, votes in Florida are more valuable than votes in Illinois or uh, votes in California. Uh, how this this system has existed for so long, I'll never know. And by the way, going back to Cast, the great book by Isabel Wilkerson, she points out how very much the electoral college system was a creation uh, to support slave owners, to give them the benefits of having slaves by virtue of increasing the number of people uh, in the state without giving the slaves any voting rights. Uh, so it's a vestige of slavery and it still exists. And uh, not surprisingly, it's helping the Republican Party. <clears throat> yeah. So Bruce Rauner didn't care about Illinois. Bruce Rauner didn't care about Chicago. It's the place where he uh, decided to settle in. He owned about eight homes, I want to say. I know Frank could probably get correct me, seven or eight. Can't remember the exact number. In addition to the one in Winnetka. And by the way, protesters went to that house. No, no, just that. I'm just thinking about that. I didn't give Rauner credit. Oh, I he remember that. Send out the, his, I compose. think the quote was the quote was when the protesters showed up from Rauner was something like a. <laughs> wasn't really any words, just noises. Rauner, well, first of all, Rauner was never. They got eight houses. He's, he's moving around a lot, and he loved the condominium. <laughs> he had the condominium in Chicago. He loved to go rollerblading. We are not making this up. Rauner was a rollerblader. And he got the place in Montana where he would just drink wine with Rom. Remember that one day? Oh, the two yeah. of them made millions together. So, you know, he's like Trump. He wants to go to a state where a swing state where his vote will count. And he's in Florida. And uh, oh, suddenly I found myself doing Barack Obama. And the rest of us are <laughs> stuck here in Chicago. But I'll bet you Barack Obama's not. Do you think Barack Obama's voting from Chicago, D? I don't know. I had to think about that. Great question. Where's, where's Barack Obama live these days? I don't know. He was in Philadelphia when he gave a speech at the Democratic Convention. Frank! So, he, <laughs> so <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm not surprised uh, that Bruce Rauner is in Florida. I knew he, didn't, he couldn't care less about the state of Illinois. He tried to bankrupt the state of Illinois uh, in order uh, to uh, turn it into Wisconsin. That was like the the extortion racket he was running here to destroy, destroy unions so he could have uh, the Republicans had more power uh, and there would be less control over the, the financial markets and he could make even more money. So that's what motivates Bruce Rauner, one of the greediest, selfish people I've ever seen in public service. And I have public service quotes when I apply it to him. It's just a rackets game. Uh, so he has left Illinois after almost destroying Illinois, and now he's in Florida. And in his gated community with a 72-foot-long pool in Key Largo, I'm a little jealous, by the way. I want to live in Key Largo, D. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I'm not surprised, D. I'm not surprised at all uh, that uh, Bruce Rauner uh, set up camp. In Florida. Well, who knows how much he's there anyway? Uh, Probably spends a lot of his time in Mount. 
Oh, he's cracked me up when you did that. Now, watch this, ladies and gentlemen. He hasn't missed a beat. He's been gone for a week. Watch this. Watch uh-huh. this, folks. This is not pre-show prep. This is just live improv. D, do uh, J.B. Pritzker. Ah, yeah. <laughs> do Bruce Rauner. Lori Lightfoot. Not doing that. <laughs> anyway, Trump. Donald Trump. Do Donald Trump. Uh. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Is he good or what? Zanies, please. Zanies, open back up. I need a booking. That guy is good, lady. He's oh, You're good. You're good. All right. Yes, guys, we're back with live shows, back to work, and that means Frank's back to work as well. Break's over, Frank. Uh, Frank's, <laughs> Frank sent us a message here. He let us know Bruce Rauner uh, owns nine, count them, nine, nine. homes. Damn. Nine homes. Thanks, Frank. Nine homes. I know he had two condos down that I won too. Remember when Rauner? Oh God, this is how greedy and selfish he is. He claimed two homeowner exemptions. And then he pretended he oh I didn't know that. Ugh. Homeowner exemption is for your home. You get a break in your property taxes for your home. Tribune always forgot that. Tribune was so outraged by uh, JB Pritzker and Toilet Gate. They always oh, they uh, failed to mention Rauner and uh, his homeowner's exemption. Oh, 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 I didn't know. <laughs> what a greedy, selfish governor. Now he's gone. Just like that. Boom. Well, uh, oh, I'll show you. I'll go to Florida. <laughs> I bet he kept one of those condos downtown, D. Bet you, bet oh, you anything. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Bet you by golly, wow. Uh, find me in Key Largo. <laughs> All right. With Rauner uh, no longer living in Illinois, WTTW went on to write that this is a sign of the lurch that Illinois uh, that the Illinois GOP is in. The congressional delegation is split 13 Democrats to five Republicans. Both of the state's U.S. senators are Democrats. There are no GOP uh, constitutional officers and Republicans are in super minorities in both the Illinois House and Senate. They went on to say that it wasn't always this way. In Governor Jim Edgar's day, it was Republicans who held the reins in Illinois. And speaking of Jim Edgar, here's a question. How many times can a Republican politician endorse a Democratic one until they are called a Democrat? We may soon find out the answer as former Illinois Governor uh, Jim Edgar announced uh, that in the presidential election, he will be playing the record player, yes, and endorsing Democrat <laughs> Joe Biden. Bindrafki, I, I thought thoughts. you were gonna. Oh yeah, I thought you were gonna play the. the well, great I mean, Joe okay, Biden. sure. Mr. Vice President, your opponent in this election, President Trump, has made your mental state a campaign topic. And when asked in June if you'd been tested. Um, for cognitive decline, you've responded that you're constantly tested in, in, in effect because you're in situations like this on the campaign trail. But please clarify specifically, have you taken a cognitive no, test? No, I haven't taken a test. Why the hell would I take a test? <laughs> Come on, man. That's like saying you, before you got in this program, you take a test where you're taking cocaine or not. What do you think, huh? Are, are you a junkie? What do you say? to President Trump, who brags about his test and makes your mental state an issue for voters. Well, 
If he can't figure out the difference between an elephant and a lion, I don't know what the hell he's talking about. Oh, we don't know what the hell you're talking about, sir. Jim Edgar. Joe Biden. I'm voting for him, D. Okay? Get bored. I mean, it's not like there's 25 choices. There's only two. So I guess yes, you got to do that. Kanye got kicked off the ballot. That also happened while we were out of town on vacation. D, Kanye got kicked off the ballot. Kanye West and the birthday party. But an insult to everybody. All right. Even Kanye didn't take serious. Oh, Jim, anyway, Jim Edgar. Jim Edgar has Jim endorsed Edgar. Joe Biden. I have a quote from uh, Jim Edgar here saying, Donald Trump just hasn't grown in office. I hoped when he got elected that maybe he might grow in office. He has been more of a disappointment than I thought he would be four years ago. And I was definitely bummed out when he won four years ago. <laughs> but I'm just... I think this country has suffered a lot uh, that that's going to take a while to take care of. Uh, let's see here. It says here, while Trump is popular in much of downstate Illinois, well, you could say that again. Edgar said Trump hurts Republican candidates who run statewide uh, in the city of Chicago and in the suburbs. Final quote from Edgar. Uh, ben, tell us what you think after this. Uh, Edgar said, quote, if Trump would lose in November, then I think the Republican Party uh, in Illinois statewide has a better chance of coming back. Republican candidates have to answer everything Trump says and does. It hurts them in the suburbs and in the city. Uh, there you are. Your thoughts. Well, uh, first of all, the Republican Party is in serious trouble in the state of Illinois. Uh, and there is a split between what's left of the Jim Edgar wing, uh, which is perhaps best represented by Jim Durkin, uh, the uh, state rep from DuPage County, uh, and the DB branch of the Republican Party, which uh, seems to have uh, most of the people in it. And that would be the Darren Bailey branch of the Republican Party, which loves to wear the MAGA hat with uh, pride. Uh, and uh, so there, Donald Trump leaving the scene, I don't know if that's uh, how that's going to rectify that. Bruce Rauner bought everybody. He bought their allegiance and he got he bought their allegiance to sign on to his uh, vociferously <laughs> Charlie LaDuff uh, anti-union uh, rhetoric and agenda. And so Republicans, whether they were anti-union or not, had to vote with Rauner on that because he was writing the checks. So now he's left the scene. Uh, my guess is it's the Tea Party country and that's what's going to control the Republican Party. And there's just no room in the Republican Party for someone like Jim Edgar. Absolutely no room. I don't know how Durkin can put up with him uh, and still have any credibility in his mind as being a rational, uh, thoughtful person. So uh, I do not blame Jim Edgar for leaving the Republican Party. The Republican Party uh, that he knew uh, no longer exists. It's very bizarre because on one hand, you got Jim Edgar. Uh, who is voting for Biden. And on the other hand, uh, you got Blago, who is uh, really pounding the drums for Donald Trump. And when Blago came out of prison, D, remember he goes, I'm a Trumpocrat, you know, like I'm a somehow. The Trumpocrat, that's right. <laughs> Trumpocrat, that's right. I love that guy in the background. Uh, and so, you know, he, it was like he was saying, I really appreciate what Donald Trump did for me, uh, letting me out of prison. And I also appreciate Donald Trump signing the first step law, uh, which is really like the most significant piece of criminal justice reform that we've had in the last 30 or so years. So on those issues, I'm with Trump. Now, I just read this interview with uh, uh, Blagojevich. He's like the Republic. He, he's like Edgar, only from the Democrats, the Democratic Party that existed when I was uh, before I went to prison no longer exists. And it's become too left wing. And I'm like, what are you talking about, man? To, to quote Joe Biden. I mean, seriously, Blago, 
What are you talking about? When you were the governor, you fashioned yourself as a Bernie Sanders type progressive. You know, you said they came after you because you gave free rides to senior citizens. That's straight out of the Bernie Sanders playbook. The only people who stayed with you, the only people who were remotely loyal to you, and there was a very few of them, were lefties who appreciated what you did for the grandparents, for their grandparents, for older people in general on the CTA. We got free rides. And now you're throwing them under the bus. Man, there is no loyalty in politics at all. So Rob Blagojevich, uh, the, his move to the right on all issues. Apparently, he's against health care for all. Well, he had great health care when he was in prison. So, you know, he didn't have to worry about it. And uh, he's become a Republican, uh, not just a Trumpocrat, just a flat-out Republican. And Jim Edgar has become a Democrat. So, D, that's kind of the, the shifting sands of Illinois politics right there. And we didn't even get a chance to talk about Jim Thompson. I'm going to, I got to write about Jim Thompson. He died while, I think he, we were out of town. Did so much happen last week, D? I know. Jim Thompson, former governor of the state of Illinois, um, died last week. And, and, and I, D, I know this is so obscure, the things I fashion on, but I was reading the obituary of Jim Thompson and there was a reference to the fact that when he was a young attorney uh, in the Justice Department, he argued the case against Lenny Bruce. Now, I don't know if you know who Lenny Bruce is, D, but Absolutely. Lenny Bruce is a hero, hero of mine, uh, a groundbreaking comedian from the 50s and the 60s. And they were always throwing Lenny Bruce into jail for saying something outrageous. And you know what? All these Republicans sobbing about cancel culture. They were the ones who were throwing their forefathers, I should say, were the ones throwing Lenny Bruce into jail. And Jim Thompson wrote uh, the, uh, the government's position, the appeal to try to put Lenny Bruce in jail, prison for, I think he was sentenced at one point for up to a year. So I'm going to, I've been meaning uh, D to take the deep dive in this one. I know probably very few people care, but it is relevant, folks. I mean, we talk about cancel culture. We talk about First Amendment rights. We talk about free expression. Really, the only people who've ever suffered in this country for standing up for what they believe in are lefties, going back to lefties, in quotes, like Lenny Bruce. I can't think of any Republican who went to prison for speaking his or her mind. And it's Republicans throwing the lefties in prison. So, and Jim Thompson, that, I, I saw that, I'm like, God, you know, you could have apologized for that, Jim Thompson, but no, he said, no, he stands by it. He, so I guess he, I shouldn't speak ill of those who've just passed, but uh, that's something I'm going to look into deep. Jim Thompson. All right. And we did have one public event scheduled for our current Democratic governor, J.B. Pritzker, and it was a big one. Today, Governor Pritzker was at the Will County Health Department at noon discussing the COVID-19 response in Will and Kankakee counties. Uh, we'll make sure to give you uh, updates on that before we roll out of here. All right, Ben, anything else you'd like to say before we move on to David Ferris? Well, I would like to say this. We've come to that part of the show uh, where I get all nervous because we're reaching out to our guests. So a quick pre-show uh, planning question that should have been asked two hours ago. Do you have David's email address? Well, it's funny. You did ask me that, and we did talk about it. And yes, I do. 
Man, I tell you what, that's all I read for I smoked in the 70s. All right. <laughs> nope, I'm ready to move on, talk uh, national politics with David Ferris, talk about the Democratic Convention, the Republican Convention, the Electoral College, all that good stuff with David Ferris. All right, everybody, don't go anywhere. It's the Ben Jarofsky Show. We're live from my apartment in Ben's attic. Michael Girardi in tax increment financing. For this humbling victory. All I can say, you sure know how to make a guy feel at home. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. 
arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Discover more about our wondrous, world-class city at the Chicago Architecture Center, now open and adhering to public health safety standards. Plan your staycation exploring two floors of awe-inspiring exhibits, from our interactive city models to skyscrapers that change the world, and learn about the fascinating stories behind the fabulous facades. Book your tickets today at architecture.org. The stories of the city begin at the CAC. Two of your Ben Jarofsky show is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Benny J, take it away. David Ferris is with us. I can see him clear as a bell. I hear him clear as a bell. I hope I can hear him. Uh, he's, uh, uh, it's worked. We were off for a week and uh, I always get nervous when we reach out to a guest for the two o'clock interview, but it works. David Ferris, of course, political science professor at Roosevelt right here in Chicago, author of two excellent books. Uh, the kids are all left. We talked about that at great length. The last time I was on the show, how uh, the younger uh, generation is uh, moving left. And we'll see if David still thinks that. Maybe I have to rewrite the book uh, after this convention. Uh, and Time to Fight Dirty, which I consider the modern day uh, Bible for Democrats. Of course, they're ignoring it, as my beloved Democrats just always want to lose, it seems like, uh, and um, don't aren't certain about how what they have to do to win. Anyway, David Ferris, welcome back to the show, young man. Well, it's great to be here. Um, and, uh, you know, what do we got? 70 something days to the election. So, you know, I'm ready. I'm fine. Am I fired up? I don't know. Do I, I don't, is that how I describe myself for Joe Biden? Probably not. Right. But <clears throat> I'm here. You know, well, we'll get into that. Uh, the, the attitude that Dems have toward, uh, lefty voters, progressives, whatever we're called, everyone's a progressive. So I guess we're lefties. Uh, let's just start with your, uh, general thoughts. Uh, on what went down with the Democratic Convention. I was out of town, first time ever. I was like out of town, uh, David, during a, a convention. In my defense, the convention was moved to the time when I was already planning to be out of town on vacation. So blame it on the pandemic. But your general thoughts on uh, the Democratic Convention that went down last week? Yeah, I mean, I was on vacation too. I believe that we were vacationing like yards from each other. So, um, but uh, <laughs> so I've, I've, I've caught up on it over the last couple of days, and uh, I was I was really struck. I mean, it was a very um, it was a confident presentation. You know, it was uh, you know, frankly, it was a pretty tight eight hours because these conventions usually are are an all day affair with speakers that start at noon that nobody really watches unless you are a super, super hardcore political junkie. Um, and they made this, you know, they planned this, they've been planning this for a while. Um, and they wanted to, to fit it all into two hours a night. Um, and I think they pulled up, I think they pulled that off pretty well in terms of the, the goal of themselves. But I was really struck 
um, that so much of the outreach um, and the most visible outreach at the convention was to wavering Republicans um, and sort of not to the flank of the party that I think um, that, that Biden and Harris are, are going to have the most trouble turning out to vote for them. Um, and that those were the, those were the moves of a, you know, of, of a ticket and a party that's very confident that they're going to win based on, on current polling. And I think, um, you know, maybe they don't think that they need to reach out to the kinds of voters who, who aren't jazzed up about this ticket. Um, but uh, it, it certainly felt like um, a, a lacuna to me in terms of like, you know, um, I realized that I, you know, I don't, my, my views don't represent necessarily a majority of the, the American people, but um, there was, there was not as much reaching out to the left as I thought that there could have been. There was not as much kind of reaching out to young voters as I thought that there, there could have been. It's not just about AOC's one minute. It's it's more about if you just look at the full breadth of the um, of the convention, um, there, there just wasn't that much um, sort of meat and potatoes for the for the party's um, progressive base. Um, and I, I think that was kind of a lost opportunity. I, I also think there was a lost opportunity to um, to associate the president with the Republican Party. You know. Um, one of the things that really struck me, and I'll, I'll, I'll stop, I'll stop yammering after this. But one of the things that struck me about Harris, Harris and Biden's speech um, was how nonpartisan they were. And I, I know that that was a deliberate choice, right? Because they think that the the, the the path to victory runs through, you know, moderate former Republicans in the suburbs, um, and talking trash about the Republican Party might not appeal to them. But I, I do think um, the, that there was so little. Uh, I don't even think the word Republican appeared in Joe Biden's speech, and. Um, that's a shame because the, the party convention is not just about the nominees, it's about the whole party and the whole party's debate. And I think that they needed to do a much better job making the case that the Republican Party, not just Donald Trump, but the Republican Party um, has run this country into the ground in a variety of ways. Um, and, they, and they need to really start thinking about how they will define the party against the Republicans after Trump is gone. No, I don't think they did much of that at, at the convention either now. I'm a Democrat, right? So I, I you know, I, I liked it, right? Like I liked it more than I'm enjoying what's what's transpiring right now <laughs> yeah. in North Carolina. Um, but uh, you know, how somebody like me or you perceives the the content is, is really less important than thinking about, um, you know, what what what's the message that the party's trying to send, and you know, how does the party see itself winning in November? And and on that score, I mean, it's pretty clear. Um, that they've made a coalition with, you know, that they're, they're attempting to make a coalition with, with moderate Republicans to build this really big tent. Um, and, uh, and they didn't, they didn't leave a whole lot of room for, for the progressives. No. And we'll get into, uh, I'll probably have to bring you on for a whole separate show on the Republican party because uh, the insanity of what's happening. And that's my word for it, uh, with what the Republicans are doing, uh, in North Carolina. I, it's hard to say it's in one place, but with their convention, uh, let's go back to the, the Democrats. Cause there is an initial contrast. Uh, and I want to get you to elaborate on, we've talked about it in the past. The Republicans, uh, are unafraid. Uh, to give a prominent position uh, to the most radical wing of their party. They, they even gave uh, Mark McCloskey, the lawyer from St. Louis, uh, a moment into uh, uh, at their convention. He's the guy waving the rifle at Black Lives Matter protesters who were peacefully walking down a public street. So uh, they give him a position. The Democrats squeeze uh, the brightest young star, and their party, AOC, uh, into a one-minute segment. 
uh, in contrast to how they dealt with a bright young star in 2004, Barack Obama, who uh, had just been uh, nominated, won the uh, Democratic nomination for senator from Illinois. They gave him a major speaking role in prime time. Uh, it seems as though, and uh, many of my listeners uh, agree with me on this point, it seems as though that we're like we, meaning lefties, we're, we're, we're like this embarrassing uncle or something that they want to lock away in the closet and just don't embarrass us. Don't talk loud at the table. Don't breathe loud in an elevator. You know, don't say anything. Don't do anything to shut up and vote. That's that's how progressives are treated in the Democratic Party, as opposed to being like the energy that freaking infuses a party with purpose and meaning and troops on the ground and passion and ideology. And I don't know. That's kind of how I view it. What's your thoughts, David Ferris? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I mean, I think like, you know, when this thing was getting planned, I can just I can just like I can see the meeting, you know, like 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 Biden is sitting in a room with with Tom Perez and, and some of the other, you know, the muckety mucks in the, in the party. And Biden, you know, Biden's like, here's the deal, you know, like Joey, my dad, you me Joey, uh, you know, it, like these kids aren't going to vote. I think they're just like the kids aren't going to vote for me. Right. Like uh, I, I'm not going to be able I can't win anybody over. He's like, I, I think he thinks like. You know, he, he could deliver the, the severed heads of billionaires on a platter of, of Medicare for all. Um, and, and college students still would not turn out for him in the numbers that, that he that he would like. That could really blow the doors off of this thing. Um, and I think once they concluded that, like, there's a certain kind of um, kind of an independent Democrat or, or real independent independent uh, who's left leaning, who's just not going to come out for Joe Biden. It's like they stopped trying, you know, um, they were like, you know. Uh, we're going to win. So why do I have to give AOC five more minutes? You know, if she, she's the one that said she shouldn't be in the same party as me. Like, why should I give her a prominent speaking spot? Right. Um, and so they, you know, they should, they gave more time to, to John Kasich than they did to, to AOC. And they gave more time to like Colin Powell. You know, it's like, um, you, you can see, it's like, uh, you can see all of the machinations that, that went into this, but, but behind all of that is really, I think a theory of the case. Um, which is that like there's enough progressives that are just going to come out and sort of reluctantly vote for, for this ticket because they have to. Um, and that they would lose more of these moderate former Republicans than they would win back if they, if they centered, you know, um, these, these young um, rising stars and the party more than they did. And I, I think that's a big mistake. I mean, I think it's a mistake. I, mean, I don't know how else to put it. I think it's a mistake um, just in terms of the theater of the convention, because, you know, people like AOC and, and Ayanna Presley and, and all these, these young, um, stars, you know, like Katie Porter, you know, like, the, you know, these, these people should have been all over the convention, you know? Um, and, uh, and, and they weren't, um, they, they buried them and, um, they buried them because they're, they're going out there with a message of, of national unity, um, and a message of nonpartisanship and a, and a message of coming together while knowing that, you know, four days later, the Republicans are going to come, come together and, and hold like a bloody seance, you know, where they, where they kind of, <laughs> You know where they they move the, the the thing over the Ouija board and it's like Democrats must die. You know, like it's like uh, like Kimberly Guilfoyle's speech last night was like completely unhinged. You know, like Donald Trump's speech was Donald Trump Jr.'s speech was completely unhinged, and then they turned the Mad King loose for forty five minutes on the first night of the convention, which is so crazy. Um, and here the Democrats are 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 are, are trying to to project this uh, this image of being above the fray, um, and I, I think that there was a there was a way to thread that needle a little more. 
carefully, like, you know, you, I mean, you don't want to have the five craziest people in the party coming out and taking up two hours of the convention. Right. But you also, um, I think you don't want to deliberately alienate the, 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 the future of the party by, um, by just kind of pretending that they don't exist and, um, pretending that they're, they're very real grievances against Republicans and the Republican party just like aren't there, you know? Um, so, and yeah, it goes back to things we've talked about so many times, right? I mean, Democrats are like afraid of their own shadow. I mean, they're, they're afraid of a part of their, their own coalition, you know? Um, and, uh, I think they've drunk the Kool-Aid on the idea that, that AOC and some of these other young stars are, are polarizing. And it's like, look, of course they're polarizing, you know, like it's a polarized country. So, um, like Joe Biden is polarizing, you know, talk to a Republican voter about Joe Biden. I mean, they'll, they'll give you five minutes of like, um, you know, conspiracy soaked, uh, 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 craziness about, you know, how he's a criminal and you know, stuff like they're going to hate him. They're going to hate whoever it is. You know, if they're going to hate whoever it is, you might as well march your best people out there, put them front and center and, and, and let the cards drop where, where they will. And they didn't do that. Yeah. By the way, I, I'm going to take exception to the one word you used. You're five craziest people in the party. Uh, I know what you were saying when you said craziest, but that inadvertently you were expressing the way mainstream Democrats look like people like me. You know what I mean? Oh, he's a freaking lunatic. And that, that, <laughs> that guy, you know what? He would listen to it. And, but it gets to the larger point you were making about their unwillingness to brand the Republican Party in a negative way. And they're not promoting democratic values. There are democratic values that would give people a real practical reason to vote for the Democratic Party. Health care alone. And David, it just seems like the Dems are afraid to take a lead. They're so cautious about those swing voters in Wisconsin that they're constantly trying to appeal to. I could still hear the echoes of Amy Klobuchar in last year's debate talking about don't be extreme. People don't want to give up their health care. They don't want to lead on anything. And so it's that much harder to turn around and then promote uh, values through legislation if you've been afraid to champion those values when you're running for office. Yeah. And it's, you know, um, just listening to the, you know, the, to the biggest speeches, you know, the, the Harris and Biden and, and, and the Obamas and um, you just, you wouldn't, if you didn't already know, you know, you wouldn't get a sense of what they plan to do once they're in office, you know? Um, and it's like, sure. like, I would like competent leadership on the coronavirus too. I'm also, you know, maybe like naively and stupidly holding out hope that that the, you know, the most of this will be behind us by the time the next president is inaugurated. And so it's like, I, I want to know what else they're, I, I want to know what, what else they have up their sleeves, you know? Um, what, what is the healthcare plan? You know, don't, don't subcontract that out to the, to the six o'clock speaker, you know, like t- tell us in the main speeches, like just bare bones, like, what are you going to do? Um, and it, it just felt like that Harris and Biden, uh, Biden in particular, um, you know, the speech was about like, you know, there's darkness and light. We're better than this. I'm better than this. Pick me. Um, you know, pick me if you don't want to live in this, like, you know, dystopian hellhole with the, you know, reality TV president, like tweeting out insults at you. And, um, and it's like that, that's an important message, but it's also, I think, important to tell kind of wavering supporters, people who aren't, wouldn't be inclined to vote for the Democrat if, if they were offering them things. So, you know, what are you going to do? How much student debt relief, you know, um, how quickly are we going to move towards a, a universal healthcare system? 
um, you know, what's the foreign policy vision? You know, like the foreign policy speech was, was delegated to Tammy Duckworth, who was like, well, you know, Joe Biden won't, um, won't intentionally murder our troops. And it's like, that's a really low bar, you know, <laughs> what's the, like, what else is he going to do? Like, of course, like, of course. We assume that if the, Joe Biden finds out that the Russians are putting bounties on the heads of our soldiers, that he'll do something about it. But like, I feel like that's priced in. So what, what, what else are we doing in foreign policy? You know, like, what are we going to do about trade with China? Um, you know, what are we going to do about these trade deals? Uh, how are we going to repair our alliances? Right? So there was a lot of like appeal to authority and, and assertion, you know, like Joe Biden will repair our alliances. Like Joe Biden will, uh, you know, will, um, you know, make sure people are insured. Joe Biden will, will make the right decisions on, on the virus. Um, and, uh, but not a lot of, you know, not a lot of specifics. And I, I understand that normal people don't want to sit there and listen to a, you know, a, a, a wonk speech from the Brookings Institution about their plans, right? Um, but they do, I do feel like people, even like, even like normal people who aren't listening to this show, even normal people want to know what the president's going to do, right? If they get into office, if they are, you know, if they win your vote, like, what are you going to do with it? Um, and I kind of just like, that was a, that was the big thing missing from what, you know, what was a very well-produced program, you know, it's a, it's a long infomercial at this point, right? Now Michelle's happens at these conventions. Um, it's free advertising. Um, and, and, you know, I don't, I, I didn't think it was like a disaster or anything. Right. But I thought, um, certainly there were, there were opportunities that they could have taken to define the future of the democratic party, um, beyond Joe Biden, beyond this crisis, beyond Donald Trump that, that they just didn't do, um, because they didn't think they had to. And that's, you know, like that's disappointing. Um, it's disappointing that we have to go out and, and, and do the work anyway. Um, even though we're being taken for granted. Uh, and, uh, I, I would be negligent if I didn't ask you for your thoughts on uh, Mayor Rahm's uh, analysis of the election. Uh, that broke, I think, in an interview he gave on Friday. Uh, I, I want to say I lost track of time last week where uh, he was saying uh, that the great victory for the Democrats is that they managed to get through their convention, uh, paraphrasing our uh, distinguished former mayor, without mentioning uh, Medicare for all and without mentioning a Green New Deal, two of the of paramount issues of our time. <laughs> Right. I'm sorry, man. I just like uh, how cut off and clueless can you be as to real life in America? Uh, your thoughts on the political vision visionary of Rahm Emanuel? I don't think you'll be surprised to learn that I'm not uh, impressed by the strategic vision of Rahm Emanuel. Um, you know, if it was up to Rahm Emanuel, we would never have passed the Affordable Care Act in the first place in, in 2009. Uh, he very, you know, very famously pulled President Obama aside and was like, "Don't do this, man. You're going to lose midterms. You know, people don't want this." Um, and and you know, Obama, to his credit, was like, "I don't care. You know, like, we're, you know, we, this is a reform that the country needs. Um, it's going to help people, and if we pay for it, we pay for it." Now, that was a little bit too fatalistic, I think, about the messaging, and they they really screwed that up. Um, and they, you know, they obviously screwed up by um, not not including the public option in that bill. But the, but the bottom line is that Rahm Emanuel was wrong um, about, you know, the, the most important um, policy achievement of, of the Obama administration. Uh, you know, we've, we've moved beyond that. Obviously, on the left, we want more. We want much more. Um, but at the time, it was a huge reform, um, hugely important. It's helped a lot of people, including in my family. Um, and he wouldn't have done it because he's a coward, because he doesn't, you know, fundamentally, Rahm Emanuel does not want um to achieve things with power, he just wants the power, right? Like he wants to stay in power, even if it means 
um, not doing the things that the voters sent you there to do, even if it means like that you fundamentally don't really have any core principles. It's just like, you know, we think the Democrats are like vaguely better at administering government than Republicans are. Um, and so, we, you know, we think that to, just keeping us in office is so important um, that we're willing to sacrifice the policy goals that are the point of getting power in the first place. You know, like what is the point of getting power, uh, of winning these elections, right? If you don't have a bold vision of where you want to take the country. Um, and if you start off with this, like, well, we're taking Medicare for all off the table before before the next administration even starts. You know, where, 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 do, you, where do you think that leaves us in, in terms of bargaining? You know, then it's just we're going to be debating the public option again, you know, for, for two more years. Um, and so, so I, I hope that there's people in the room with Joe Biden who, who are pulling aside and say, look, you know, uh, Rahm Emanuel can say whatever he wants, um, but the voters in your party, the, the exit polling from your own primaries and the voters in your, in your party support Medicare for all. And it's your job to sell this policy, which would help millions of people, particularly in the midst of this crisis. Your job is to sell, to, to convince people, persuade people that this is the path forward, um, rather than, than sort of like powering, um, you know, and, and being afraid of your own shadow, thinking that, that taking, you know, brave, courageous policy positions is going to get you beaten. The reality is you're going to lose worse if you don't do anything, you know. So, from where do they find him? Like, where even is he? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm from Philly, you know, and how they, 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 they haul out Ed Rendell every once in a while. Yeah. He was the governor, he was the mayor of Philly in the 90s, yeah. and the governor of Pennsylvania in the early 2000s. And, they, and he's like, you know, he's like fossilized in, in, in amber from 1987. And, the, and the, you know, the networks call him out and they're like, what do you think, Ed Rendell? And he's like, I don't know about the left. You know, the left is the big threat. Um, and all these guys who came of age during that time period just just have this theory of politics that's that's being eclipsed before their very eyes, and they like they like don't get it. <laughs> it's like it's pretty maddening. Well, I don't know anybody cares what Ron Emanuel thinks about anything at this point, you know. Um, but there he is; he's on the shows doing the rounds, you know. Yeah. Well, he's uh, he also has a job as, a, as an investment firm, so there's always the possibility that he's. <laughs> Doing all this on behalf of some unknown client. You never know with Rom what he's really what's really going on, you know? Uh <laughs> there's always that possibility. But uh he projects uh, for better or for worse, and I put a heavy emphasis on the worse, to sort of like conventional thinking in mainstream democratic politics, which is almost as an obstacle uh, to the, what would Republicans put up. You said something before I leave it. I have to get back get you to uh uh, elaborate a bit. Uh, you were talking about uh, Obamacare, which is perhaps the most significant piece of legislation that the Democrats have advanced in this century. Maybe the only piece of legislation that the Democrats advanced in this century. Uh, and you screw, you said he screwed up the messaging. That's a very important point. I'd love you to elaborate on because in many ways, uh, the, the messaging over Obamacare uh, is still very much alive, politically speaking, in this country. What do you mean by the Democrats screwed up the messaging on Obamacare? Well, I mean, if you, you know, think back to the think back to when this was being debated and enacted. Um, the messaging was all about um, the budget, you know, the impact on the budget. And so what they did was they allowed the, the mechanism by which they were forced to, to finish the bill off with, which is reconciliation, um, where you do have to prove that the, that the, that the bill will have a, you know, a, a neutral impact on, on the federal budget over time. 
and they allowed the the impact on the federal budget to be the you know the, the sort of the central message of Obamacare of of the push for the Affordable Care Act. It was like the the, the framing was not like um, we're going to save millions of lives, like we're going to save millions of people who otherwise would have died <laughs> with this reform by getting them insured. Um, it was like this will save the country money, you know. Um, we're going to bring down the cost of healthcare um, by by getting more people insured by by mandating that they get. Um, their insurance and by, by putting some of these new regulations on um, on the insurance companies, things like that. Um, and what it, it, from the get-go, from the beginning of that debate, they got sucked into this like unwinnable argument about the impact on the budget. How much is it going to cost? How much is it going to cost? You know, think back to the Democratic debates this year when they were talking about Medicare for All and, and, and Warren and Sanders were forced over and over again um, to be like, well, the money, we're going to take them a little bit from here and it's just, you know, like maybe your taxes will go up a little bit, maybe they won't. Um, you know, they, instead of um, sort of offering a vision of what the policy and what the law does for you as an ordinary American, they, they got sucked into a debate about the cost. Um, and when you're debating costs, you're, you're playing, you know, you're playing an away game and, and uh, you know, at the Republican stadium um, and, and you're at a home field disadvantage because that's their turf. You know, their, their turf is like, that's too expensive. We can't have that. We can't have that nice thing. It costs too much money. Um, and, and Obama, I think, um, is you know had had some really incredible skills as a politician. Um, I think defending his own administration's policies was not one of them. <laughs> so um, it's like once they did something, I don't think that they did enough work um, reminding the public of where these new uh, where these new benefits were coming from. And you know, last but not least, of course, they had to fight a midterm election before the law even took you know took effect. Um, so it's like they passed the law, and it was like okay, this will take you know. This will happen in a couple of years. Um, meanwhile, we'll all, we'll, all, we'll, all, we'll debate all the negative things about this law, and then we got to go win this election, right? Which they got creamed in. Um, and so, I think there's so many lessons for Democrats moving forward about you know about the messaging for whatever they do on healthcare. Um, you know, if they pass a healthcare law in 2021 and has to go in effect in 2021, you know, at least some of it. Otherwise, they're going to fight 2022 on on the cost issue on the oh, this adds trillions of dollars to the deficit. Um, rather than, you know, the very real change in, in people's everyday lives that they would feel um, if something along the lines of Medicare for All was, was put into place. Mm. Yeah, deficit is definitely a loser issue for Democrats. And uh, uh, I don't know if many people quote Ice Cube uh, on political shows, but uh, I got to give Ice Cube a lot of credit. Uh, he came out with uh, some statements regarding the Democrats and how they treat black voters uh, in general. But he went on a, a, a riff about deficit. And it was like, what the hell? Nobody gives a bleep about deficits. Stop talking about deficits. We're talking about real lives in real time right now. I'm like, could anybody in the Democratic Party listen to Ice Cube? Because I thought he was right on. And we all know it's a game, David, from local politics. Whenever they don't want to spend money, they talk about the deficit. You're going to hear Lori Lightfoot talk about a deficit when it comes to putting nurses in schools, can't afford. But when they want to hand out money to a developer, to build some upscale community. Oh, suddenly, oh, that's an investment. Okay. Then they talk about it. So everybody knows they're playing a game. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, think about like the, the tax cut from 2017, you know, which was created this like trillion dollar hole in deficit. Um, no, nobody ever asked the Republicans like where their money is going to come from. Right. It's the, the assumption is that that money, you know, that those tax cuts are so broadly beneficial um, that they will, you know, 
magically the money will trickle down to, to working people. Um, they'll, they'll spend the money in the economy and the government's receipts will, will magically go up. That's obviously not what happens. Um, but when Democrats are, are talking about their policies, you know, whether it's student debt relief or whether it's Medicare for all, you know, they, they really need to emphasize the fact that these laws will have other like knock-on effects, uh, effects that will be positive for the economy, right? Like everybody's like, well, forgiving the debt would cost, you know, $4 trillion. And it's like, sure. Right. But like, then what are, you know, what are people going to do with that, with that money? Right. you got like, uh, you got like millions of, of millennials um, who can't afford to buy a house because they're, they're so in hock to their, to the universities and stuff, you know, to their, to their creditors. Um, and so when you relieve that debt, right, like, yes, you're, you're moving money around on a ledger, um, but you're also unleashing the, the possibility that, that you're, you know, there's going to be tons and tons of spending on, on new things when people suddenly don't have this like albatross uh, of debt around their necks um, in terms of their, their daily budgets, you know? Um, and that's, you know, these are all things that, you know, we're all talking about these things, but they're all like basically missing from the DNC. Right. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm not expecting big things about student debt relief out of, out of Biden and Harris, but um, I, I do think that the party needs, um, it needs, it needs a more positive policy vision and more positive posit- policy agenda that they can contrast with what the Republicans want to do. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to feel like we're getting sucked into this trap again, like we did in 2016, um, where the election is all about how, how Donald Trump is a bad orange man um, and not enough about, you know, the things that the bad orange man is doing to us, you know, like the policies that the bad orange man is inflicting on us are just as bad as he is, you know? Um, and, the, and the trap is like, we're going to get rid of this dude. Um, and the next day, you know, that John Kasich's and, and everybody will crawl back to the Republican Party and pretend that none of this ever happened. Um, when in fact, Kasich is a Gingrich radical, right, who, who, who uh, was part of the Republican Revolution in 94, um, has a bunch of just dreadful policy ideas. Um, he just happens not to be a sociopath, right? And so, um, you know, uh, don't, don't be ruled by sociopaths. I, I guess that's a, a slogan for, for one election. But like, what are we going to do in 2022 and 2024? If, the, if we've made the central identity of our party that we're not Donald Trump, it's like, well, who are we, you know? All right, let's uh, talk about the role that Kamala Harris plays in all this. Uh, and we spent so much time talking about who Joe Biden was going to select for his running mate. Uh, and then I was rather, I was not impressed with Kamala's speech. Uh, I feel as though whatever she brought to the table, they were uh they were definitely toning her down uh, and making her an adjunct to Joe Biden. I guess that's the role of the vice president. Uh, what was your thoughts about her speech and what she brings to the ticket? You know, I mean, I, you know, I mean, I think Harris was the obvious choice. You know, as soon as it became apparent that Biden was going to be the nominee, um, you know, the betting markets converged on Harris. I think everybody um, expected it to be her. I think that, um, you know, but just the, just the imagery of, of, of this elderly white man who, um, you know, for, you know, maybe perfectly, perfectly good reasons, but has, has trouble, you know, finishing a sentence coherently. Um, <laughs> they, they needed a, a woman of color, uh, on the ticket and, uh, Kamala Harris is the most prominent and most experienced, um, you know, black woman politician in, in, in the country, in the party. Um, and, uh, and she's younger and she's dynamic. Um, you know, maybe it didn't all come through in this video address because it's just a weird medium. Um, but I, I, I think that it, she always made a lot of 
a lot of sense. Uh, I, you know, I, th- I lost $2 betting on, on Tammy Baldwin, uh, just because she was only trading at two cents on predictive. But, uh, but I, I, you know, I always kind of thought it was going to be Harris. Right. Um, and I think the theory is, you know, Harris is the person that appeals to the, to the Obama coalition piece of this, you know, the, um, you know, the, the, the emerging democratic majority from, from the early two thousands where it's, you know, the party will be, uh, you know, women and people of color and, and, and young folks and, um, Latinos and, and all this stuff. And, um, I think the theory is that she is the, she's the bridge to those folks. Um, but you know, for, for whatever reason, uh, it's a whole other podcast, but she's, you know, she's not super popular on the progressive left, you know, um, because of her record and as, as uh, attorney general in California and district attorney in San Francisco, um, there was just a little, there was a lot of contention, um, during the primary and she got hit pretty hard, I think by, um, by Sanders and his, and his allies on, on that record in the press, um, particularly the kind of the progressive press. Um, and I think it dragged down her, her popularity with that wing of the party. And I don't think she, she you know, she, uh, she seems younger than she is, I think, mm-hmm. uh, she's like 55. And so I, I think, um, those youngest voters, the people that voted for Bernie or, or for Warren in the primary are also probably maybe some of them are, but they're probably not like super stoked about Harris either. I think that Harris, um, does shore up, um, you know, the party's position with, with black voters. I think she'll do a lot for black turnout. I don't think that's being appreciated yet. There's some evidence that, that, um, uh, that Biden is doing better with, uh, with, with some minority groups that are a key part of the coalition, including Latinos because of this selection, you know, um, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, there's, there's good and bad. The reality is there was nobody out there that would have satisfied everyone. Um, and there was nobody out there that would have ensured Joe Biden's election to the presidency. I think that the VP's contribution to that is pretty minimal anyway. Um, and, uh, but yeah, her speech, I mean, the, the thing about the Demo- the DNC is, you know, they shortened the speeches, right? So everybody had like 20 minutes. Um, and job one of that speech for, for Kamala Harris is to introduce herself to the, to the democratic voting public. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is who I am. This is my story. This is my husband. These are my kids. You know, this is what my parents did. Um, you know, stuff that I, you know, honestly, like people, you know, <laughs> hardcore political junkies, don't, like this is not a huge factor in the decision-making, but, um, you know, ordinary folks who are just now tuning into the election, you know, the theories they want to know who they're voting for, right? Like, where's this person from? Like, how did she become AG? You know, like, how did she become a Senator? Um, and you want to project an image of, uh, you know, an appealing image that, um, that low information voters can, can look at that person and be like, they seem normal. Yeah. I'll vote for them. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Well, Harris is, she's, she's, she's a Democrat, right? Like she holds, she holds democratic public policy beliefs. I, I, I personally think that she's a bit more progressive than she's being given credit for in terms of her time in the Senate. Um, and, but she does have that, uh, some baggage from her time in California. Um, so, but the speech itself was just like Biden's was, um, just remarkably free of, of policy substance. Yeah. You know? Um, and, um, in as much as the, as the VP nominee's job is to, um, is to be the, you know, the, the, the attack point on the president, on the incumbent president. Um, you know, she wasn't really doing that either. Um, that doesn't mean that she won't, right. It just means that they crafted this convention, to be as nonpartisan as, as humanly possible, you know, to, to appeal to independents and, and these moderate Republicans. And I think her speech was crafted in that regard too. Um, 
And so the, the image of Kamala Harris that I would, if I know nothing about her, if I was, you know, one of these people that just like you know, crawled out from bed and was like, Oh my God, why is everybody wearing a mask? This is so crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, out there, is there an election? Is there an election? Um, if I didn't know anything about her, I, I would have thought, you know, like that she was chosen because she was like, you know, extremely reasonable. Um, and, uh, uh, it's not, you know, like, uh, like Kasich said on, on first night, it's not going to drag the party off to the left or whatever. Um, and, uh, that's, that's definitely a choice. You know, um, I, I thought the delivery of the speech was great. I've always thought that she's a dynamic speaker and a dynamic presence. Um, and, uh, I certainly prefer her to Joe Biden. <laughs> Can they flip it? Uh, no. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, everybody's assuming that like you know Joe Biden's a caretaker and, and Harris is the future of the party. There was, I don't know if you, I don't know if you go deep into the uh, the Trump like fever swamp press, but um, there was an article I think on this journal called American Greatness, <laughs> just uh, just really one of the worst publications in America. <laughs> it was like uh, it was like Kamala Harris's selection is a coup, you know, because they were like she's really she's good. they're planning to have her take over and like not telling anybody. <laughs> And so it's like, it's, it's a, you're tricking the American people by, by having this VP who's like more progressive than the nominee. And it's like, there's, I mean, there's a process for this, you know, like if something happens to the president, the vice president becomes the president. We all know that VPs and former VPs have a better shot at the at future nominations. So it's, it's not a coup. It's just like politics, right? Yeah. Like for a reason. Um, and uh, y- you know, I, I think some of it, honestly, Ben, is just a function of like, I, I, I wanted those extra 25, 30 minutes in these speeches, you know, because I, I'm the kind of person I, I'm, I kind of bored by all the pageantry early on in the day and I'm, I'm, I'm waiting around for the, for the main event. Um, and the main events were, were kind of truncated. Um, and I'm not sure that they needed to do that. You know, well, I, I gotta tell you, uh, what I missed and I, I know all the political realists, I can hear them already saying, uh, it, she shouldn't have done it, but the contrast between Kamala Harris' address and Sarah Palin's address were so vivid and stark and dramatic. And Sarah Palin, when she was selected uh, by John McCain in 2008, threw red meat to the Republican base. And now we're sort of ending the conversation where we began it. The Democratic Party doesn't believe in its base. The Democratic Party is always running away from its base. The Democratic Party is embarrassed by its base. So they will never allow a young, vibrant, uh, passionate Democrat to get up and rip the shreds off. They just won't allow it, David, just like what Sarah Palin did to Obama. And yes, it, it did not work in terms of winning the 2008 election, but it certainly had Obama on his toes throughout uh, his administration and ultimately it led to Trump. And you're going to get tons more of it this week uh, from and so it's just uh, one more time David Ferris where the Democrats pull back and they pretend like you win elections by being nice we're up against these street brawlers yeah and they I mean they have no compunction about any of this I, I also think like the Sarah Palin stuff has been like misremembered and this like I think that people think that she was a bad pick because she was polarizing like that you know because she you know the you know the real America stuff. You know, 
which is terrible, right? Like, don't get me wrong, it's like terrible rhetoric, but it's not why she, she's gonna go down in history as a bad VP pick. She's going down in history as a bad VP pick because like she did all these interviews where it became clear that she didn't know anything. Yeah. You know? Um, like if she had come out and been like, you know, we're for the real America, she could have gone and been like, we're for white people, you know, like the real America, you know, Main Street, rural places, like we don't like the cities. That, that, that wouldn't have hurt them if she had like, could have named a book that she read or a newspaper that she read or she knew where the countries were. Um, you know, like if she had not displayed this like, completely embarrassing um, lack of knowledge about the world that we, we all know that you know, Kamala Harris is, is not an idiot and she knows all these things. She's a very smart, um, accomplished woman um, and probably like forgot more yesterday than Sarah Palin ever knew. You can have her go out there and, and be a little bit more, um, you know, incendiary about, you know, A, what the Republicans are doing and, and B, where you want to take the Democratic Party. Um, now, obviously, as the VP pick, you can't explicitly contradict Biden's positions on X, Y, and Z. Um, but you could certainly have her be the person highlighting the more progressive aspects of, of Biden's platform, um, which, if you know, if you're going by his website, um, it, it is to the left. It's to the left of Clinton. It's to the left mm-hmm. of Obama. Uh, some of the things that he wants to do, not, not as far left as we would like it to be. But why not give that job to Harris? Why not have Harris be the one that's like, you know, y- your, your job is like, to be super mean to the president, um, and then to do like base maintenance with uh, with, the, with the party stalwarts, you know, go out there and, and tell them, you know, that um, what, what we're going to do with healthcare. There's like 30 million people that don't have healthcare right now, like, um, and so why not have her be the one out there making the, you know, she doesn't have to use the word progressive if you think it's divisive, right? But like, um, have her go out and, and, and talk about the policies in a way. Um, that, that progressive voters would be like, oh, yeah, I know what she's talking about. Like, why don't we have our own dog whistle? Like, not, why don't we have our own, like, not racist dog whistles? Um, <laughs> can talk about all the progressive things that they're going to do without using the word progressive, you know? Um, and so um, I, I have some hope that she's still going to do that. Um, and I, I think that overall she's, she's definitely a net asset to the, to the ticket. I think it was a good choice. I think it's the best choice that Biden um, could have made under the, under the circumstances, probably. Um, even though I would much rather, like, I wanted Elizabeth Warren to be like the empress of the, of the known universe. You know what I mean? Like I, I wanted, and I would have loved her for her to be the VP, but you, you can see why. Um, I think you can see why he didn't do it. And, um, given the choice set in front of him, I think he could have done a lot worse than Harris. All right. We'll uh, bring you back later to talk about what the Republicans are doing and the, the bizarre little schizophrenic nature of their party. Uh, but we'll close with uh, one of my uh, favorite topics with you, something that you put in my mind with your first book, Time to Fight 30, uh, and that's Electoral College. And we've, you've already said a couple times that Democrats are always playing the game on the Republican turf. And that's to a large degree because the system we have set up puts the election on the Republican turf. And if you want to know more about it, ladies and gentlemen, I urge you to read David Ferris's book, Time to Fight Dirty. The whole thing is skewed against Democrats. It wouldn't even be like a discussion about a close election if it was just a legitimate winner takes all system, because it's so obvious that Joe Biden's going to mop the floor with Donald Trump and the popular vote. Uh, but we have this crazy electoral college scheme that's a remnant of slavery. <laughs> Lord knows how it survived. Uh, I don't want to have a conversation right now with what Democrats should do to get rid of Electoral College. I think I'll save that for another day. But you read right now, after the Democrats uh, and at the very outset of the Republican Party, how is Joe Biden doing, in your humble opinion, with this cockamamie Electoral College? 
well, he's winning. You know, I mean, he's winning. Uh, if the election was today, I think he'd win, you know, 350, 375 electoral votes, maybe. Um, you know, if the polls are wrong, uh, you know, if the polls are often and they're underestimating progressive turnout or something, then, you know, we could win Texas and Georgia and it could be a real landslide. Um, I think the, you know, the, the problem is you watch the RNC, uh, and, you know, we'll talk about this later in the week, but you can get the palpable sense that they know, you know, that they really, really believe in their bones, that they have this advantage in the Electoral College and that they never have to win a majority. You know, like they don't even have to bother making an appeal to some theoretical majority. Like they know they're not going to get it. Um, like, the, you know, this, this forecast of The Economist is like, we ran 88,000 simulations, you know, and Donald Trump won the popular vote in like one of them. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, it's unthinkable, right? Like, he's not, he's not going to win the popular vote. I would build my house on it. Um, and uh, um, that, that has structured, it structures our politics in such a, such a, like a warped way. It's like, it's like this disease um, where it's like the people in 12 states get all this attention every four years um, and they actually get extra policy goodies. Um, so there's so a lot of political science on this uh, about how extra resources are directed to swing states, particularly during crises. Um, and it's, it's just, it's like demented, you know? I, I don't think that the Republicans, I don't think Trump has the, the kind of advantage in the electoral college that he thinks he does. Um, that is the polling and the tipping point states of, of Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Michigan um, is, is, is pretty close to the average of the national polls. Um, you know, Biden's running a little bit ahead of the national polls in Michigan, a little, actually a little bit ahead of the national polls in, in Wisconsin, maybe a little bit behind them in Pennsylvania. Um, so if you squint, you could still see, you know, maybe a one point advantage for Trump and, and the electoral college. Like if Biden won by one point nationally, maybe two points, he could still lose, I guess. But I, I'm not as confident that that's really what's happening out there anymore. Um, but for sure, um, right now, Biden has the edge nationally, has the edge in the electoral college. Um, you know, there's there's the, the central issue of this election is the coronavirus. Um, people by a two to one margin just disapprove of the president's handling of that issue. Um, and that's, you know, there's, I don't know, I don't know how you get around that, you know, and that's just as true in the swing states, um, of the electoral college as it, as it is nationally, you know, um, and interestingly, all of the three tipping point swing states, this is really important. All the three tipping point swing states have, um, incumbent democratic governors who get high marks for their coronavirus response, which has been, you know, harder line in terms of, uh, of, of, uh, safety measures than, than the president recommends. So all three of them went out on a limb. Um, said we're going to do these things that the president doesn't want us to do, um, and they've been rewarded by, for it by, by having approval ratings in the 60s, where the presidents are, are down in the low 40s. Um, so, kind of any way you cut it, um, the president is going to have have a lot of trouble winning the electoral college unless he can gain five, six points in, in the next month or so. Um, and, and the national polling, and that that might put him within striking distance of a polling era in these in these swing states. Um, but, the, you know, the Electoral College is dreadful, um, idiotic institution. I think it's actually the dumbest electoral mechanism in, in all of the democratic world and all of the hundred-something democracies on, on this planet. It is the single stupidest way that anyone on the face of the earth selects their leader um, in as much as they do so democratically. I mean, there are dumber ways, like, you know, um, hereditary monarchies, um, you know, which... Uh, but then our future will be Donald Trump Jr. Um, but it's it's a really it's just like a really badly designed institution that was rushed at the end of the convention. They didn't even know what they're doing. It doesn't even work the way that they wanted it to work. Obviously, um, it's just like it's just like a completely indefensible mess that warps our politics. It's like warped the president's brain. You know, he's got like brain worms about this. He only cares about the swing states and the red states. And it's like if you're in a blue state, 
uh, you're just like dead to him. Like, look, man, there's more Republicans in the state of California um, than there are in like all of the deep South put together, you know. But in the president's like, you know, uh, 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 you know, diseased brain, um, he thinks that he can just like write off the entire state of California because he has no chance of winning it. Right. And yeah. that, that's not even a Donald Trump problem. That's that's an us problem. You know, like that's that's a way that we've structured our politics to incentivize um, this dismissive attitude towards towards people you think will never vote for you. Um, and it's, it will survive him and it will survive him until we do something about this. All right. Uh, that uh, on that fatalistic note, we're going to end this uh, conversation. We're going to pick it up again after the Republican convention. <laughs> Your job, uh, David Ferris, uh, and I know you will embrace it, uh, is to watch the utter insanity going on uh, with the Republicans and then report back to us. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I'll do my best. I'm, I'm low on liquor. I, like I have stuff in Costco. I'm going to get through. I'm going to get through this. That might get you through it. Uh, David Ferris, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Um, Political science professor from Roosevelt University and the author of The Kids Are All Left and Time to Fight Dirty. We'll be talking to you real soon, all right? Great to be on this show, Ben. Thanks so much. That's great, David Ferris. Uh, D, before we head out the door, you got any updates for us? Absolutely, we do here. Uh, First off, we want to remind everybody... We're back. We're live all this week. And, you know, I don't see us going on vacation anytime soon. So be looking forward to that. Also, find us on social media at Benny J Show, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to send us an email, uh, Benny J Show at gmail.com, B-E-N-N-Y, the letter J Show at gmail.com. Send us a message. Who knows? We may read it on the air, and uh, you can send us a voicemail as well. Haven't gotten a voicemail in a while. Feel free to reach out, all right? 708-658-4788. That number again, 708-658-4788. Reach out to The Ben Jarofsky Show. We got a question uh, from Kyle. Uh, we've been talking uh, the Democratic National Convention, Joe Biden, and we even talked Mayor Rahm today. So, uh, Kyle, uh, he's a little concerned here. Kyle says, why do I have a fear that Joe Biden would be stupid enough to have Mayor Rahm be a part of his administration? That's uh, I, because they, they come from the same wing of the Democratic Party uh, and Rahm Emanuel is going around, Kyle, promoting himself as an advisor uh, to uh, Joe Biden. So I think it's it's very it's not out of the realm of possibility that Joe Biden would turn to Rahm for something or other. Uh, the only issue is, does Rahm Emanuel want it, want this in his career right now or is he more interested in making tons of money in the private sector? So I don't know. It's But you, there's a good reason you have that fear. Because it's a very real possibility. Uh, and um, like I said, Rama said uh, he's bragged about being an advisor to Joe Biden, and Joe Biden has never said anything to the contrary. So, yeah, that's that's the Dem wing of the Democratic Party, uh, as opposed to lefty land. As we began the show talking about lefty land, uh, that's where we, we live in lefty land, D. In our little world, our humble little world of lefty land in my attic overlooking the porta potty, that's where they stick lefties. Well, Mr. Biden, if you're looking for someone who can uh, ride his bike like nobody's business, I think Rahm Emanuel is your guy. I just biked around Lake Michigan. <laughs> he biked around Lake Michigan, around the whole thing. Oh, my goodness. How many miles was it, D? Oh, how many miles, you ask? Nearly a thousand miles. 
Did you find anybody that cared about health insurance? Uh, I don't have that clip. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) Tell you every time. All right. And uh, before we roll out of here, let's do an update from uh, Governor Pritzker's COVID-19 press briefing. It was today. Uh, Let's see here. The following comes from the Chicago Sun-Times and one Mitchell Armentrout. Uh, Let's see here. Facing a rise in coronavirus cases statewide, Governor J.B. Pritzker issued a new set of guidelines for bars and restaurants today that require patrons to keep their masks over their mouths and noses during all interactions with waitstaff and other food service workers. That's including but not limited to when employees take patrons' orders, deliver food and beverages, and service tables. The new guidelines go into effect tomorrow and also apply to other places that serve food, including museums, entertainment venues, and indoor recreation facilities. Uh, We have a quote here from J.B. Pritzker. He said, it's important that we treat hospitality employees just as you would any other retail store or establishment. The new mask guidelines apply statewide to both indoor and outdoor dining and bar service. Uh, J.B. Pritzker said this new requirement will keep people safe while moving the economy forward. Illinois Public Health Director uh, Dr. Azike said, quote, going out for food and drinks should not be a reason or an excuse to let our guards down in the fight against COVID-19. To the people that say uh, that face coverings don't work, you're just simply wrong. It doesn't matter what video you saw on the Internet or the fake headline you read. Please know that face coverings do save lives, but they must be used in conjunction with social distancing and hand washing. Yeah, I'm with them 100% on that one. I'm afraid to go into a restaurant, so uh, I'm with them 100%. But uh, they, the doctor was quoting headlines she might have mentioned, uh, or anything you hear from the president of the United States. Might have added him to that list, because uh, he hasn't exactly been promoting uh, face masks at all. It, I think it defies where most of his party is. Anyway, uh, I want to thank... Uh, David Ferris for being a great guest as he always is, the author of Kids Are All Left and Time to Fight Dirty. We're going to bring him back to talk about the Republican Convention. Uh, he's got, I know he has some fascinating insights about that as well. And of course, I want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride and joy of Alton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. As David Ferris can tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. See you tomorrow, everyone. Concert? Yeah, Steve Miller Band and the Eagles.